everybody. Welcome. This is your girl, Donna D, a.k.a. The Urban Mommy, and I am back with another podcast. Lately, I've been having so many podcasts, and all of them have been excellent, and today will be no different. So every day we release a new video, and today you guys will be excited to hear the story that we have coming up. We have an author um, by the name, I'm sorry, by the name of Shirley Novak, and she is going to be joining us today to discuss her life because the name of the, the title today is everyone has a story so miss shirley can you start by explaining yourself who is shirley novak not the um, author but who is shirley the person shirley the person um i was born into a family of russian immigrants who were very negative my, well, my mother was a very very negative person and the more she said you can't the more i decided i could so she was the type of person that tried to tell me that you'll never get that job, you'll never be able to do this. And the more she told me I couldn't do something, the more I decided I was going to do it. And I went for it. And all along the path, I succeeded. And so I developed, I developed a personality that just tries to encourage people to know that there really are no limitations. If there is something you want to do, try it. The only failure is in not trying. And so all through my life, I have had many, I've had several professions and along each one, I succeeded. And um, my latest profession is published author. And this is, the story, well, loosely based on the story of my father, who was a Polish-Russian immigrant, and he had a very tragic upbringing, and I didn't find out about it until after he passed away and felt that it needed a story. So the beginning of the book is not fiction, but the rest of it, most, I'd say 75% of it is. And... Um, I'm just thrilled to be able to call myself a published author right now. It's something I never thought I would achieve. And I'm just going on to my next profession, whatever that might be. <laughs> well, congratulations first. So my question is, I also want to ask, where did you grow up? I grew up in Boston, Mass. And I grew up in a primarily, um, I grew up in a neighborhood where no one had money. We were all poor, but no one knew we were poor because we were all the same. All the same. But it, it did it did allow me to become a very independent, um, strong person because any fun that we had to have, we had to have by ourselves. We were good kids. We weren't involved with drugs or alcohol, but we were very strong-willed. And we just had a great time. And that was so many years ago, but if I tell you that we're still friends today, I am friends with my elementary through high school friends. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. A wow. lot of them have moved, but we managed to get together at least once a year. Okay. Well, that's good. And so when you were, when you were younger, did you ever think that you would become an author? Were you into writing at all? Uh, well, when I was nine years old, I had a fourth grade teacher. Mr. John Willett, and he gave us he gave us an assignment to write a poem about spring, and he was so impressed with my poem that he made me read it to the entire school, 
And after it was over, he came up to me and said, do not ever stop writing. Someday you're going to be a great writer. And I was nine years old and that stayed with me my entire life. And I love the word. I love the English language. Um, but I never published anything. I, you know, I wrote term papers. I wrote my term papers, my kids' term papers. <laughs> Don't tell anyone. But, um, you know, I, um, in my book, I have one acknowledgement, and that is to Mr. Willett, thanking him for his encouragement and, you know, mentioning the importance of teachers. And no matter how young you may be, I was nine years old, and that teacher had such a lifelong um, impact on me that I actually did sit down and write a book. And I even have the poem in the book. But I've been trying to find his family to let them know, you know, what an impact he had on me. And to date, I, I haven't been able to find anyone that he was related to. His, you know, back then there were no computers. The records right. are gone. But his name was John Willett. He came from Boston. He was an English teacher at Boston English High School. That's the last I heard of him. Okay. So, so anyone how, out there knows, if there, if anybody's out there listening for this name, say say it again. John Willett. Willett. W i l l o t. E t t. E t t. W i l l e t t. Willett. Gotcha. So how important do you think it is for teachers to be encouraging? For students. Oh, oh, very important. Very, very, very important. I mean, I one of my professions was actually teaching a medical assisting program um, at a medical assisting school. And I had two students, and one was a very heavy, depressed, just, just a really miserable person as far as she was so unhappy. And she came from a family where she was browbeaten. And also in my class was this little adorable cheerleader type. And the two of them were always at odds with each other. And I had them sit down in a conference room and tell each other what they did not like. You know, why is this happening? What is it that you don't like about her? What is it that you don't like about her? Ultimately, years later, I got a letter from the one who was you know, unattractive, depressed, unhappy, to thank me because it gave her the impetus when she graduated school, she went into the service and she made a life for herself. She became a nurse in the service. And she just said that without my encouragement, that never would have happened. So unwittingly, I had an effect on somebody's life as a teacher. She wasn't nine years old. She was 18 years old, but still. You know, and they I think probably was, needed just as much as the kids, you know, being going through teenage years. Yes. It, yeah. Especially when you think of the fact that some kids don't come from good homes. They don't come from loving or encouraging homes. So sometimes as a teacher, I know they get upset when they have parents or even kids that don't comply as they should. Sometimes you should think, that maybe something is going on in a home and you may be the only encouraging person that a, a child that's does. Right. Absolutely. And uh, that's why I acknowledge the Teachers of America as well, the importance of, of being and understanding. And I don't think they get enough credit for what they do. 
Um, they, they, they are the, probably the biggest influence on young lives. And I, I credit them for that. Yes, because there are so many toxic parents, and it's now that we can finally discuss it. Because my generation and your generation, we could never call our parents out. It would be like a form of disrespect to call them out. But now we are able to address some of the toxicity that happens in homes. Absolutely. Absolutely. So I, it's like, yeah, I don't think they get they get enough they get enough positive attention for what they do. They put their lives at risk every day, you know, in some of these neighborhoods when they go into school. And yet they do it for the love of teaching. Right. Right. So definitely salute to all of our teachers. I come from a, a family of teachers, so I definitely want to take a minute to say that. So how did being the daughter of a first generation Russian, Polish, right? How was that growing up? Did it change you a little bit? Well, it gave, it gave, I have two older brothers and it gave us very good work ethic as far as um, you, if you wanted something, you had to work for it. My father worked seven days and nights a week, weekends. He never took my brothers to ball games or anything like that. So it made us very strong individuals. My mother was a very depressed woman who was in and out of hospitals for, for depression. And um, my brothers and I talk about this often and we say that what they did, they, their negativity had a positive impact on us because it showed us what we did not want to be or not want to become. And I, I would say that the three of us are successful and happy, well-adjusted people. My right. shrink tells me I'm the most well-adjusted patient he's ever had. So. Wow. Okay. Well, that's awesome. Okay. You also say that you are, you consider yourself a synthesis. Can you tell me what that is? Synesthesis. Uh, a lot of people have synesthesis. They just don't even know what it is. It's when different sensors in your brain get crossed. So you might have um, a hearing and a, a color sensor that uh, cross each other. So when you hear certain things, you see it in color, a certain color. Like I see numbers, shapes, and colors as one. So, for instance, number five would be number seven. And well, I mean, number five would be red and sharp. Number six would be blue and soft. And uh, like every number has a color attached to it and a shape. And I thought everybody was like that. I thought, every, you know, my son also has it, but his sensors are different. So we, we never talked about it until he saw a show on TV one day and it was talking about synesthesis. And he said, mom, they're talking about me. And, and I never even knew it existed. But they also said that it, it, it really carries forward in life. I've been an interior designer for 38 years. Mm -hmm. And supposedly because my spatial relations are right on track, it's probably the best profession I could have gone into because I, I see, I can look at a space and map it out in seconds. Wow. Literally. Um, and I never knew that that was a talent. Right. <laughs> that never, everybody could do. I never realized this was a thing at all. It's very interesting. So 
you realized you had it once your son figured out yes. that it was a thing? My son. Yeah, we both did. And then we started to research it. And that's when we found out that, yes, this is a real thing. And many, many people have it, but they never even know it. You know, when I was in school as a kid, math was my worst subject. I barely got by in math. But then I went back to school in my 30s to get a degree in design. I had to take a math course, just basic math. And I would come up with the answers like one, two, six. It was just like really fast. And the teacher would say, how did you get there? And I'd say, I, I don't really know. I just, you know, I skipped steps. In my brain, I skipped a lot of steps. This has something to do with synesthesis, but I'm not quite sure how. And the reason I did so poorly in school and math when I was a kid was because I couldn't do it the way they, my they brain was different. You know, so I would skip steps. Wow. And I okay. never got it right. We're definitely going to look a little bit more into that. Okay, so when your teacher gave you those encouraging words when you were nine about you becoming a writer, at what point did it actually kick in that that's what you wanted to do, write a book? Uh, I never thought of, I mean, I loved to write. I used to write books of poetry up until through college. And I never thought of publishing ever. And um, I think it was right before the pandemic hit. And I said, my father, who had a very tragic and unique story, deserves a book. He deserves a story to be told. Okay. And I sat down and it was like um, a force came over me. I had no outline for the book. I had no idea where I was going with it. Just every day I would sit down and write and write and write. And all of a sudden, I had a story. I had a book. Wow. Okay. So about how long did it take you once you started? It, it took about a year. Okay. A year. About a year. Um, yeah. I mean, What made you do historical fiction and not just go uh, bio all the way? Because I have a brother who is a historian. Okay. And he's published 14 books. His latest book came out on Obama. And he said to me, if you're going to write a book, make it factual. Do not make it fiction. And I started that way. But it wasn't poetic enough for me. And I started doing research. I even went to Ellis Island and I looked up my father. And I said, you know, you write your book and let me write mine. I'm going to write a novel. And he just kept pushing me and pushing me. you got to get your facts. So there... There are things in it that are, are factual, like um, the great Boston molasses flood and um, things about New York, Ellis Island, Sitfield Follies. I mean, there were certain things I re did research and okay. they're factual, but the story is pure fiction. Ah, okay. And it's it, got, it got great reviews. I mean, it's gotten like fabulous reviews. Excuse me for a first-time author, and um, and I'm doing podcasts and meeting wonderful people like yourself. Awesome! So that's amazing. I like that, and and I'm learning more about the historical fiction because um, I I have a book as well, and I'm thinking so that means if we add anything that's actually happened in the real world, that kind of makes it historical fiction almost. 
Yeah, if the story is fiction, the story's not true, but like all the events that went on during that time are are true. Okay. It really happened. And I found out things. I found out that there was that we have an archaeological dig in Ohio called the Adena Mound, which I never knew of. And that that goes back hundreds, thousands of years. And it was unearthed in Ohio. And, um, you know, you never think of the United States as having artifacts Right. Or, you know, having a history that goes back thousands of years. But in fact, it did. Now, I never knew that. But in in my book, the main character takes a trip to Ohio and he tours. He tours the city that he's in. And part of the tour was, you know, whatever he found on the tour was factual. Wow. Okay. Um, So... Did, being that you had to do so much research to make sure that everything was factual, what was the most difficult part of the book? What was the, your biggest challenge? Was it doing the research? No, because we, we now, I, I mean, I, I hate to admit it, but we have something called Siri, <laughs> Siri, uh, email, libraries, Google. So there is a lot that you can just learn by quickly picking up, you know, a, a device. Uh, research was fairly easy. The hardest part of the book was um, my my characters got real to me. They were real. They and um, I came downstairs one day and I was crying. And my husband says, "Why are you crying?" And I said, "Because because so and so just died." And he said to me. <laughs> But you're the one that killed her, you know? <laughs> right. So, yeah, you're right. But, you know, you just become ingrained. And um, the hardest part for me of this book was letting it go, finishing it. I didn't want to finish it. You know, it became part of who I am. Part of me. And yes. I loved my characters. And the ones I hated, I hated. And, uh, like, the person, the, the main character's father and stepmother were truly evil people. Evil. And I got to know them. And I can attest to the fact that they were truly evil people. And their names are the only names in the book that are not changed because they deserve to be thrown under the bus. Okay. So, so yeah. with that being said, who is your favorite person in the book? Who's your favorite character, and why? Probably the main character, Jacob, because um, I designed him after my father, and my father was really just a very—he was very poor, but he was very dignified, and he was very humble. Excuse me. And education to him was paramount because he never could get the education he wanted. Um, so he was my favorite character. And every time something bad happens to him in the book, I, I find it gut-wrenching. Right. Because most of the bad things that happened to him in the book, those were the true parts. Wow. Yeah. So I guess it's easy to tell me who are your least favorite characters in the book. Oh, his father and stepmother. <laughs> and um, I guess I can give this away because 
because it's at the very, very, very beginning of the book. Um, his father, his mother died when she was 12, when he was 12. And his father said, I'm going to America and I will send for you when I have enough money. And they said, well, who's going to take care of us? And he put them in the care of a brothel. 12 and nine years old, went to live in a brothel. They were there for three years before the father sent for them. And while he was in the brothel, he was raped by a Polish soldier at the age of 15. Wow. So now this is all true. But to make the book really interesting, I have that Polish soldier coming back into his life like 20 years later, which isn't that unusual because New York, Boston, a lot of people came over to this country to, you know, to those cities from Eastern Europe at the beginning of the 20th century. So it, it's not impossible that he would have come face to face. Would he? Wow. Okay, so when you decided to write your book and then you decided to get published, what made you go the route that you went with publishing? Well, I didn't want to self-publish, but I couldn't very well go into Random House or Simon & Schuster and say, hi, hi, here I am, you know, publish my book. So I did my research and I found out that there is a thing called hybrid publishing. And I looked up these various publishing houses that did hybrid publish publishing and I found the Fulton Press. And the Fulton Press said, send us your manuscript. We, we don't charge to read it. And we'll get back to you in a few weeks and let you know if we're going to sign you or not. They called me in three days. And they said, we want to sign you. I mean, this was very easy for me. So what hybrid public, or at least the way they work, is you have to put some money up front. And that's based on the length of your book. But I thought the, the amount that I had to put up front was very small compared to what they did for me. And then once the book is published, they don't take a dime until you've made back your investment. Wow. So what is there to lose unless right. you don't sell a book? <laughs> right. Wow. Okay. That did sound like a good idea. So what about the marketing? They did the marketing for you? They did the marketing, but you have to be your own person who does the marketing. Okay. You know, it's up to you. Uh, you're not your only client, and they do a certain amount of marketing, but if you want your book to be successful, you really have to do it yourself. Right, you have to push um, it. I do book clubs. I have done book signings. Um, the one thing I did as far as marketing goes that is a definite no-no, I can tell everyone up front, don't waste your time, is I went to libraries and bookstores and I handed out my book. They never even read them. They never, it was just a waste of time. And doing podcasts, being a guest on podcasts, I'm finding out that, yes, this is very true. Don't waste your time thinking I'm going to go to the library and they're going to carry my book. Um, people can call the library and request they get the book and they will. But I offered to come in and do readings and signings and everything else and display my book and to no avail. Wow. So that's not really the way to go. Okay. Word, well, word of mouth is very... Social... Social media is important. Okay. And word of mouth. 
Okay, so other than that spending time at the library and the bookstores, would you change anything about the book, the processes or anything? For me, it worked. For me, um, I hear such horror stories and I don't have one. It was, it was really easy. I, I hate to say it because I'm going to jinx. I have another book, by the way, coming out. Um, not soon, but I, I'm, it's in the works. Um, I found it. I sat down and I, I wrote. It was like a power, a higher power came over me and directed my fingers to where I was going. Because literally... I, I did not have an outline. I had no idea even how it was going to end. It just did. And I have to say my second book, which is a thriller, it's not a historical fiction. The same thing is happening. I do not have an outline. I just sit down and I create the story however I think it should be created. And I understand that's not normal. No, well, I'm believe not. it or not, that's the way I did it. And I really thought that that's how everybody did it. But I learned... You know, speaking to other authors on here that some people already have an ending. I always bring up the story is like people will say, oh, Donna, can you add me in your book? Can you add me in the book? And I say, listen, I can add you in the book, but I'm going to be completely honest. Once I start writing, I have no control over what happens to you. They like, see, oh. see, yeah, and it, so you, you start know. living it and I, I can't change it. So if you become a bad person, I don't blame me. <laughs> Well, you know, it's really funny because I've done so many book clubs and I've all my critiques have been five stars, except this one book club that I did. And there was a woman um, who was a retired English teacher. And she said, I only have one critique of your criticism of your book. And I said, yeah, <laughs> you know, give it to me. You got to take the good with the bad. She said, you end sentences in, proposi in prepositions. I said, right. yeah, <laughs> but you know what? That's, it, that's fully acceptable because the way people write today is pretty much the way we speak. speak. Yeah. Old fashioned writing. You would never, never end a sentence with a preposition, right. but I knew that was true. And I, I thanked her and I said, I'm going to look into that. And, and then I said, I, get, I was really upset. Right. But that was the one thing she had a comment on because it strictly is not true. Right. And it's especially when you like you have to speak in the dialect of the person, especially with your book. You're dealing with with people that were from other countries. So they probably had a little broken English going on. It's a lot yeah. of different things are going on and they have to keep that in mind. But if you're doing an editor, the editor has to understand the dialect that we're speaking in the times we're in. Yeah. I mean, I do. It, it's out in audio. Okay. And the person who I, I, I'm not reading, I, I hired someone to read and he changes his dialects. He's really good. He, he really did a great job. Wow. Okay. So that that's nice. Um, so we basically pretty much talked about the book, but we didn't really say what it was about. So we know it's about your dad coming over. Um, to the country, and is there anything that you want to speak about with, within the book? Yeah, the only thing I can say is he came over to this country, going through Ellis Island. Um, this is fiction. He went through Ellis Island. Um, he falls in love. He meets Elizabeth, and there's a wonderful love story there. 
And then he comes to America, you know, he comes to the Boston area and he gets thrown. He's, he's, he's 16 years old when he reaches Boston. And, um, is it still 13, 14? Yeah. And, um, his father says, you're old enough to go to work. You find a place to live. So his brother at the time was 13 he was 16 and he's of course his brother could stay with them but his father had remarried and she was very pregnant so this this is true and he makes my father go out into the world can't speak a word of english find a job and find a room to live in and my father only wanted to go to school he really just wanted to get an education so he did go to school at night and he learned to speak english but it was tough. I mean, he's in a foreign country. His family has thrown him out. And he learned a trade. And that person who taught him the trade became his best friend. And my father ended up becoming one of the most respected furniture makers in the Boston area. Which was how the the Polish soldier found him. Okay. So what does your family say about the book? Um, I had a very different relationship with my father than my brothers do. Okay. Did, than my brothers did. I was the youngest. I was the only girl. I was the apple of his eye. Yeah. So he treated me differently than, you know, anybody. And he was just the sweetest, nicest man. My brothers don't remember him that way. Okay. So they, they read the book and they say, yeah, this is... This is not true. This is not right. That's not the father I know. I said, well, that's the father I grew up with because I'm much younger than my two older brothers as well. Okay. All right. So let's see. Would you have any advice to any aspiring authors? If you want to write a book, if you want to write, just sit down and do it. Just do it. Don't worry about how you're writing, if it's good, bad, or otherwise, you can always go back and change it if it's on paper. But be honest with yourself. You know, put down in writing what you want to put down in writing and don't be afraid of what other people are going to think or other people are going to say. This is your book, your story. Just do it. Um, don't be afraid. I am in a writing group uh, with seven other people and what has happened we've been together about eight years and what happens is they became my family so what happens in writing class stays in writing class because we have all opened it's more like a therapy session we have all opened up so much that there are no boundaries none um actually it's it's at a continuing educate it's an adult education school that we take this writing course with they've had to take the class out of the brochure because we won't let anyone else in well you can't you can't walk into a class like that because we're so honest and above board with each other and you know you can't introduce a stranger to that but it's very unique it's very unusual and it's amazing be honest be honest 
So speaking of that, you made me think of something else when you said that you have a supportive group. What about, I know you you started writing at a later age, but how important would it be to have a supportive family when you're, be, when you're an author? Um, as far as like the people you live with, because you spend a lot of time by yourself when you're writing, um, your family doesn't really have to know what you're doing or, you know, it's like, I would keep it to myself because I don't want their input because their input is not coming from me. It's not my input. So I, I never sent my brother, my brother, the author, excuse me. I never sent him any, anything until the book was actually published. I didn't let him read a, a line of it because I didn't want his critique. I didn't want his criticism. He writes factual and, um, he didn't remember the, the people in the book the way I remembered them. So I would say that, you know, I, I think family can can have a positive effect, but they can have a very negative effect also. The less they know about what you're doing in your book, in your story, the better. Now, my husband has, I, I every day I would have him read for me. And he was very positive. But I would disappear for hours in my office writing so I, his support was paramount. It was great. I was very lucky. My dog, on the other hand, <laughs> she wanted my attention. Right. Good. And I'm, I'm asking you that because if we have any aspiring authors here listening today, a lot of times people think because that they don't have family support or they don't have support from the large friends or that they shouldn't write it. So what you're saying is... Don't listen to that. Books. Yeah, no. This is you. This is your book. These are your words. They're coming from your brain and your memories. And yeah, no, let them write their own books. Correct. Gotcha. Okay. So as we come to an end, I'd like to ask my favorite question. And that question is, if you can go back in time and talk to 17-year-old Shirley and talk to her about life and the things that she was about to experience, what would you tell her? I would say... <laughs> never say never. Never say never. Um, there will be people in your life who want to bring you down and just don't allow it. You be your own person. You follow your own dreams and your own desires and don't let other people influence you in a negative way. You know, be kind, be caring, but most of all, be kind to yourself. Right. Okay. All right. Perfect. Okay, so can you let everybody know how they can keep up with you, how they can follow you, how they can purchase your book? And what's the name of the book? The name of the book is The Story Of... And the three dots signify all the stories that came over to this country at the beginning of the 20th century that are untold. Um, I can The book can be gotten Amazon, iTunes, Apple, um, barnesandnoble.com. It can be looked up on the Fulton Press or Fulton Books. I can be reached at Shirley Novak Author on Facebook. I am on Twitter. I am on I my my email address is S as in Sam O B as in boy O N as in Nancy O E Sobano at AOL.com and I have a website, but it's mostly my business website, and that's Shirley at 
snovacandassociates.com. Okay. And yeah, I, and pretty much you Google me and you'll find me. Okay, good. Because we definitely want to make sure that we buy that book. It's, I love history. So that sounds really interesting to me as well. Well, what's really, I, I, I did a podcast with a gentleman from Los Angeles and he said to me, um, I hate historical fiction. I've only read two in my life, he said, and the first one I hated, but yours I could not put down. He said, I loved your book. I have a contact who has a publishing company. Can I give them your number? Wow. And he did. And they called me the next day. And so I have been working with your editor on my next book. And I'm not signed yet, but it looks like it's coming up. I, I just need a few more pages completed before we talk about that. But That's awesome. Old... Congratulations. See, I mean, it just, it happened. It, I didn't have to go looking. And they're, they're a respected publishing house. Wow. That's big. Well, I don't well, have congratulations. to What? Whoa. That's awesome. Yeah. Definitely, podcasting podcasting is very important I, I love it I didn't even know what a podcast was until a couple of years ago so. wow that's amazing so the, you speaking out on a podcast you were able to be heard that's awesome yeah I am still I haven't found Mr. Willett but right <laughs> well we're gonna find him we're gonna find him that's awesome um so again thank you Miss Shirley so much for joining in today Thank you for sharing your story because I know a lot of times, even myself, I didn't even know I had a story in me until one day I listened to uh, my cousin who has a group and she was talking about writing a book. And I said, maybe I should try it because I've been having stories in my head. I just never, just like you said, I just never sat down. So I just sat down and I put the book together. So it's because of people like you, just like you said with those teachers, just a small little encouraging word that'll let people know that they can write a book as well. So I want to thank you for that. Thank you so much for having me. It was wonderful meeting you. Same here. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. So let me say thank you all to all of the guests that have stayed. I hope you have learned something from Miss Novak. Um, And make sure you follow her coming up because she may have some really big news. Um, We know she's going to have some really big news coming up. So make sure you, you follow her. You keep up with her story as well. And for me, make sure y'all like, subscribe, share, comment. Put some comments below, whatever you have to do. Just make sure we keep that engagement. Hit that notification bell. And if the Lord says the same, I will see you all next week. Bye-bye. Thank you. Bye-bye.